Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you The Seminarians, a dialogue with students from the Pontifical College Josephinum, produced by AM820 to encourage and inspire vocations to the religious life. And now, The Seminarians. Welcome to The Seminarians Show on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. My name is Brian Smith. I'm a seminarian of the Diocese of Youngstown, and joining me today is Jacob Stinnett, a seminarian of the Diocese of Columbus. Let us begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, as we speak today of our travels to the city of Rome and our experience of pilgrimage there, help us to share not only the superficial experiences that we had, but the greater spiritual meaning of many of those things, um, both so that they can take root in our hearts, those of us who were there, and that um, these same spiritual experiences and graces can arrive to the hearts of many others as well. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom kingdom come, come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And And lead lead us not not into into temptation, temptation, but but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, Jacob, you and I had the opportunity to visit the city of Rome because at the Josephinum, during the third year of theology, there's a very generous benefactor who helps those of us who are preparing to be ordained deacons visit that city and also the city of Assisi, to make a retreat in preparation for ordination. Now, um, I think people know pretty commonly that in Rome, the Pope lives. Right. Um, But why is it that the Pope ended up living there? And what's the importance of the city of Rome for us as Catholics? We know our Lord never set foot there. So... What are some of the basic things we might be able to say about just how Rome came to be an important place for the early Christian church and still continues to be an important place for us Catholics of today? Yeah, so I would say there's probably two reasons, maybe um, a spiritual reason, but also a political reason. Okay. Um, The church is not of the world, but it's still in the world. So there are Mm -hmm. political reasons why the church does things as well as spiritually. Spiritually, though, um, this is Rome is where... St. Peter and St. Paul, um, the first great evangelizer and the first pope, the first among the apostles, ended their lives. Um, They both uh, ended their mission in Rome and were martyred there. So Mm -hmm. both of their bodies are in Rome um, at their basilicas. Uh, So spiritually, it's kind of the center of the church, the two um, apostles that Christ commissioned to lead his church and to evangelize the Gentile world are in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe spiritually, that's the reason. But politically, um, Rome was kind of the center of the world 2,000 years ago. Um, so it was all the resources were there for the church to be able to start expanding, especially after it was um, made a tolerated religion mm-hmm. in 313. Which took a little while, right? But It did. Once, it did. It, once that happened, right? just all those resources helped. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually where you see the sort of temporal growth of the church is actually after it's been 
declared a tolerated religion in 313. Before that, Jerusalem really was the center because that's where Christ and the apostles right. were. Um, that's where the Jewish faith was centered also. Um, so those are kind of maybe two different reasons why Rome is and continues to be the center of Catholicism, mm-hmm. uh, where the Bishop of Rome lives. He's the successor of Peter, the head of the church. Um, there have been little stints where the popes have been outside of Rome, right. um, which haven't gone well for mm-hmm. the history of the church. So there's you know, proven historical reasons as well as spiritual reasons why the pope as Bishop of Rome is in Rome. Mm-hmm. So one of the main reasons we got to visit there is to see those tombs of the apostles, to visit them. Right. And I was struck throughout our whole trip by just how much beauty there was around us in the art mm-hmm. and in the architecture. And then we got to enjoy some pretty good food all year there too. That's so these true. are all things we're going to be mentioning as we talk about the different places we yeah. visited. As people have been asking me since we've been back, oh, how was Rome? Blah, blah, blah. My first answer is always, oh, it was very tasty. <laughs> it was. <laughs> we yeah. didn't have a bad meal the whole time we were there. Yes, it's excellent. So no other reason to go to Rome, go for the food. <laughs> So you and I also had a a great privilege of not just being there, but having some very knowledgeable people to lead us around while we were in Rome. Um, I'm thinking primarily of three people for our time when we were in Rome, specifically. We had um, a brother and a sister. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The brother in question is uh, a priest who used to teach at the Josephinum and since has moved back to be closer to his family. But he still helps to lead this trip every year, uh, Father David Monaco. he studied scripture himself and for a time was living in the city of Rome, so he knows the place. Right. Um, pretty, he's, he's very familiar with the place. He's also a great lover of history yeah. and antiquities, mm-hmm. so that's not just having lived in Rome, but having a passion for it. Right. And you could hear and feel that as yes. he's taking you through various ruins or taking you through the churches, um, just telling you all the, the history behind them. Just as we were driving around or riding around in our cabs, he was pointing out so oh, yeah. many things. And overhears this from... 600 years ago and over here's this from 1300 years ago right. or 2000 years ago or something like I that. I wish I could keep it all in my brain, but unfortunately I can't retain that much information, but it was right. all fascinating to know. Absolutely. And then his sister, Gracelyn has lived in Rome for a number of years now. I'm not sure how long, but mm-hmm. she is um, an English language tour guide there in the city of Rome and knows so much about the history. Yeah. And, and it's all right on her fingertips. Mm-hmm. She just... She can throw out dates and names like nobody's business. Right. She can speak for hours, and she did speak for hours on mm-hmm. some of the days that she was leading us around, and you don't get tired of hearing her. Right. <laughs> so that was right. a great privilege, really, to be with her. And then the third person I mentioned was her husband, mm-hmm. who is a, a native-born son of Rome um, yes. and is a taxi driver currently. So he was able to not only drive us around on occasion but point out from the perspective of someone who's lived there his whole life some very interesting things, too. Right. And it seems like, at least getting to know um, Stefano, mm-hmm. it seems like the Romans have a have a sense of history themselves and a great pride in their history. Mm-hmm. So they're going, he knows a lot of this stuff just from having grown up there, Yeah, um, which is really neat um, to see that passion and that love for, for his home city. And you and I thought we could talk on this episode and maybe in a, another episode or two in the future about mm-hmm. many of the things we saw. There's really so much because not only do we have the tombs of St. Peter and St. Paul and mm-hmm. the churches that were constructed over them, but the tombs of many other apostles and martyrs, um, other saints 
other just noteworthy churches that might not necessarily be the tomb of someone we know, but just beautiful church or the site where something happened. Right. In Rome, you can't turn around without seeing another church. And then Um, there's all the history of the Roman Empire, too, mm -hmm. which is um, kind of just scattered throughout the whole city, different ruins, even some blocks that just have um, columns and things standing up that aren't really a focus of attention because they're secondary compared to some of the other much more monumental things that are a block away. Right. Right. So they've been in Rome, they've been working on their third line for their subway system. Right. I think they've been working on it for about 25 years and they haven't, they've gotten hardly anywhere because every time they dig, they find more Mm -hmm. ruins, more antiquities. Um, So it's kind of funny. You'll see the little hut set up for linea C, line (laughs) C of the, of Mm -hmm. the subway, but it hasn't gotten too far because they keep finding more and more mm-hmm. um, history below the city. And they take good care of it. And we got to mm-hmm. um, enjoy many of the things that they have preserved. So um, to begin with, I guess, you know, those two apostles that you mentioned, we got to visit the churches that are built over their graves. So we're speaking of the Basilica of St. Peter mm-hmm. and the Basilica of St. Paul called St. Paul outside the walls because Rome... The ancient city of Rome needed fortification, and there was a very solid wall, much of which we could still see. Mm-hmm. We drove <laughs> um, through it several times. It's now more or less in the middle of the city because the city is so huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but the original Church of St. Paul's um, was built outside of those walls. Right. So, um, St. Peter's, let's start there. What were some of the things that struck you really about our our visit to St. Peter's? So, this was my first time in St. Peter's when we were over there. Um, and I've heard people talk in the past that it's just overwhelming mm-hmm. when you walk inside. Um, you hear all these statistics about the proportions, how just monumentally gigantic um, the space is. Down the center aisle, they have lots of little brass plates telling you, you know, from the far end, this is where this other church would stop or where this other cathedral somewhere else would stop. Mm-hmm. Like pretty large cathedrals that you've heard of, St. Patrick's, it's only about halfway down right. the central aisle. Mm-hmm. So you still have so much more of this church. Um, and it, the dome is so tall, but it doesn't um, disorient you so fast because everything inside is so well proportioned. Yeah. Um, so it was, it's kind of hard to grasp, at least my first time in there. We were in the Basilica several times during our trip. Um, right. So you walk in and it it's massive, but everything inside is equally as massive. You have these 18-foot statues mm-hmm. running along the arcade and 23-foot statues above them. Right. If there were like hundreds of statues in, you know, four or five or ten different levels throughout the church, you would feel tiny. But they just have right. two levels, you yeah. know, lower statues and upper statues. Uh-huh. And they're, like you said, they're both huge. So you feel like, oh, okay, that's nice. You know, right. it's, it's, a, it's a nice space. And then right. you start walking, you realize how many steps it takes you, you to get from one to the other. And keep walking and keep walking. Yeah. You don't feel like you've gotten anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the first thing that struck me was the size, but also the beauty. Um, every inch of St. Peter's is decorated either with um, reclaimed marble from mm-hmm. the, the ancient Roman times, uh, statues, paintings, mosaics. Um, and it's all rather harmonious too yeah there's, it works together really there's well there's nothing that kind of sticks out as glaring no um nothing in the basilica is trying to draw attention only to itself unless you talk maybe of like the window of bernini in the back or the canopy in the center but we're talking about the altar right the tomb of peter right you know, there aren't other details that are distracting from what is really in the center yeah so even from the very back when you first enter you can see that famous holy spirit window 
mm-hmm. at the very end of the nave, um, which our tour, which Graceland told us, um, you see that dove way back up there, mm-hmm. which you can see from the very entrance. She right. said it's about nine feet across. <laughs> that little bird. Yeah, that little bird. Um, so just you can't really grasp the size of it, which was so um, so interesting. And you already mentioned the marble. There's plenty of beautiful stone, not only in St. Peter's, but throughout the city of Rome. Mm-hmm. And it's really, once you realize that, once I realize it, you know, it helps me to appreciate in a new way, you know, the beauty of God's creation, which we can see in so many ways every day. But just to know that we're not looking at paint here in on the walls of St. Peter's and on the floors. We're looking at different colors of stone that were cut, but just things that we could find in the midst of God's creation. Um, and then through the work of human hands you know they were arranged in a certain way that um you know they become art now mm-hmm. but all the raw re- all the raw material is is stone taken from the ground and similarly that window mm-hmm. that you just mentioned you know it's it's not even glass it's cut stone you know alabaster stone it's like a stone that's kind of see-through yeah they cut it really thin so mm-hmm. the light will come through it mm-hmm. um, to make it shine it's just fascinating yeah you're listening to The Seminarian Show on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. I'm Brian Smith, speaking with Jacob Stinnett about our trip to Rome, something that we were able to do as third-year theologians at the Pontifical College, Josephinum. And we have just been mentioning a few of the kind of most striking details of St. Peter's Basilica, and we've been going over more or less first impressions so far. Mm-hmm. Are there any other maybe smaller things that caught your attention that that you really spent some time looking at while you were there at St. Peter's, Jacob? Because we're talking a huge church, and when you're in the center aisle, what catches your attention are that you know the central altar with the canopy, the big window, the, the saints that are around, kind of leading towards the altar. But then there are side aisles that are kind of set apart by different arches, mm-hmm. and there's lots of side altars with different saints um images of you know the life of our lord the life of the blessed mother so is there anything from your time in saint peter's that you really enjoyed from either there or the other parts of the church yeah so in our our tour and our kind of time in the basilica that we could pray um, they have the tombs of four popes um up in the the main level the main level they have um Pope St. John Paul II, mm-hmm. Pope St. John the Twenty-Third, Pope St. Pius X, and uh, Pope Pius XI. Um, so you could go and visit their tombs. Mm-hmm. Um, the body of Pope St. John the Twenty-Third is still incorrupt. So you can see his body there. A lot of the others have either funerary masks that right. are bronze or something, or John Paul II's tomb, um, there's no glass. You can't see into it. It's just a stone sarcophagus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be able to pray at the tombs of those great popes, popes of our time, um, yeah. was very beautiful mm-hmm. and powerful. Um, and we also were able uh, twice to have Mass over the tomb of St. Peter, once yeah. on New Year's Day with the Holy Father. And we also had uh, a separate private Mass just with our group um, on the altar that's below right. the papal altar, which is called in the, the Clementine Chapel right. down in the grottos. Now, you mentioned um, when you were talking about the four popes that are buried, you said those four are buried in the upper level. Right. St. Peter's 
like a number of other churches in Rome, including some that we visited, have this peculiar feature that we don't often find here in the States. People who have been to D.C. and have been to the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception can appreciate a little bit of what this is like. Mm -hmm. The main church is the upper level, and then usually beneath that, there's a secondary level, um, and that's usually divided up into more segments and sections, but in St. Peter's, that second lower level has a central area, but it's called the crypt, and it's mostly dedicated to tombs for many popes and other people, influential people from the history of the church. And it has a few chapels dedicated to important patron saints from around the world, too. Mm-hmm. Plus, like you mentioned, one central tiny chapel right underneath the main altar of the upper church, um, which is close to the tomb of St. Peter. Right. Right. And that was neat. We We got to have mass in there, and we learned later some peculiar features of that chapel. It's shaped like an upside down cross, mm-hmm. like um, the the way that St. Peter was himself martyred right. on a cross upside down. You know, instead of having the cross beam near the altar, the cross beams back towards the entrance to the chapel. And I I remember thinking when you're in the, when we were in there, it's like, that's a little weird. We have these little side alcoves, but they're far away from the altar. So if you're in them, you can't see the altar, but... I learned later why that was. Right. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So that was a beautiful experience. Um, we also went on a tour of the uh, ancient necropolis, right. the, the cemetery that St. Peter's Basilica was built on top of. Mm-hmm. Um, so even below the Clementine Chapel um, is where the necropolis is. Um, so there's kind of three different levels, and we right. were able to um, tour all three of them. Um, and the level we call the main level nowadays wasn't originally the main level basically right what was first is the one that's now the farthest basement mm-hmm. and then other structures were built on top of that so that was fascinating to see um how around the altar of saint peter especially you said we got to go down to see those old tombs in the necropolis our tour guide pointed out how you know this wall is probably the first thing that was built here and then there was another one built next to it and then a marble altar put on top of that, and then the altar where we had mass in that small chapel in the lower level, and then on top of that is the altar of the the main church. Yeah, they just yeah, it's it's really powerful to be able to learn about and see that history, but then having it all come together, kind of transcending time when you celebrate mass yeah. in those places. Um, all of the masses celebrated both on the papal altar and then on that in that small chapel below are all over the bones of St. Peter, um, who was the first pope, the first person, human person commissioned to lead the Catholic Church. And as much as the structure has changed over top, the reason for it being there has remained the same since when he was buried there Mm -hmm. after his martyrdom. Yeah, 2,000 years ago, nearly. Now, besides visiting the Basilica there at St. Peter's, St. Peter's is, of course, in the Vatican, Mm -hmm. and... Within the Vatican are a number of other structures, the place where the Pope lives, um, the hall where he gives audiences, a few different, many offices, of course, sure. a place for scientific study, and then a large museum. Yes, the and, Vatican Museum. And we got to, to visit that museum one day. Um, we had a really express tour. <laughs> right, right. And, um, so Gracelyn, um, our tour guide, took us through... The Vatican Museums, um, which includes passing through the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, that was the culmination. Yeah. the end of our tour. 
Yeah. So um, she kind of takes you through all sorts of statues or pieces of statues that had been collected by the Vatican over 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. At least the statues themselves are 2,000 years old. A lot right. of the collections mm-hmm. started in the Renaissance when interest was uh, back for those sorts of things. Um, so you see all of this beautiful cut marble that it it's hard to believe that some of that is as old as it is because mm-hmm. it's still in nearly pristine right, condition. It, um, it was funny how she described one of the hallways. We were looking down a very long hallway that was lined on both sides with statues and busts and other sculptures. And, you know, you think, so this is part of the museum and they designed it this way. But originally it was a loggia, so I think that's the word for it. Mm -hmm. It was a walkway that had open windows on one side and it was covered so that you could get from one area of the palace to the other. And at one point, you mentioned probably in the Middle Ages, late Middle Ages or the Renaissance, Mm -hmm. when there was a lot more interest in recovering and preserving these these statues um it got to the point where so many were being discovered that they just decided we got to start throwing them somewhere so start putting them in that room up there that hallway yeah yeah and we'll then eventually start putting them out in the hallway <laughs> there, there got to be so many of them that they closed off the window the open window area you know with glass so that it's now a museum area but it was originally just a place to put extra statues that they were finding right they'd use other hallways we walked through one that has nothing but maps mm-hmm. um through it of different parts of Italy over time, mm-hmm. its growth. Uh, and another hallway with uh, large tapestries depicting um, either scenes from the life of Christ or other biblical scenes. Uh, but the tapestries are probably 20 feet tall and mm-hmm. 30, 40 feet wide. They're just massive structures, uh, massive compositions. And you mentioned that many of those sculptures are 2,000 years old, some even more ancient than that. Mm-hmm. And... One of the one of the parts that I found most fascinating in visiting the museums there was that we got to see some artwork from the beginning of what we would call Christian artwork, mm-hmm. and that was mostly things to do with graves and um, caskets or sarcophaguses that people would be put in. And we saw some depictions of the Magi, for example, the three people visiting the baby, um, delivering their gifts. Right. Um, so even from the earliest traditions, even though it doesn't say how many magi came in the scriptures, right. we've always had yeah. three in mm-hmm. our artwork from 1,800 years ago. They had three magi. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another sarcophagus that I found really interesting that had a tiny little nativity scene. You yes. could tell there was a little hut or uh-huh. some sort of uh, crash, right. uh, and inside were three characters. Mm-hmm. One would think the three characters would be the baby Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Mm-hmm. Well, this one from the first few Christian centuries, right. had, the, had the baby Jesus in the center with the donkey and the ox. Mm-hmm. Those are the three characters, mm-hmm. um, which I found really interesting that it's not Mary and Joseph who are there, but it's all of the created order is being represented, both Christ um, with his human nature, right. but also the animals right. um, who are giving witness also. Which are mentioned in the book of Isaiah. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're seeing the fulfillment of prophecy too. And you can communicate that through those images. Yeah. It's very beautiful to see so many of those things. And in the end, we got to see the Sistine Chapel. So um, was there anything that struck you about that, that time? So I've told people, and a lot of people are surprised by my comments, um, that having we spent about 20 minutes in the Sistine Chapel, which right. was really neat. Um, I was most impressed by the paintings that are on the side walls. 
I think I thought they were more beautiful than the ceiling. I think I'm with you there. <laughs> they they at least drew my attention more in the right. time that I was in the chapel. And it's not something that a lot of people talk about. Everyone mm-hmm. talks about Michelangelo's ceiling, which is impressive. Right. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's impressive and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the last judgment on the the rear wall, mm-hmm. again, impressive, beautiful. Um, but the paintings on the sides, they mirror each other as you go along with scenes from the life of Moses and right. then scenes from the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I thought, these are really beautiful. They don't get enough attention. Mm-hmm. And they were all focused on the law. That was peculiar. They mm-hmm. all had writings above them or below them. How, like, with Moses and receiving the law and then Christ and how he perfected it somehow in these different mirrored images. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty... a beautiful reflection on Christ as the new Moses, mm-hmm. kind of bringing to completion all that um, had come before him. Mm-hmm. So. We don't have a whole lot of time left today, so I figure, like, we should... Just stick with St. Peter's for for today then. Sure. Um, one last thing is out in front of St. Peter's, we have the big square, the piazza mm-hmm. of St. Peter's. where the famous columns of Bernini that kind of mm-hmm. come out and circle the Right, and they're meant to look piazza. like arms in mm-hmm. a way, the church reaching out to the people of the world. And in Christmas time, there's a great, of a huge manger scene there in the middle of the the plaza. Yes. Um, this year they chose a really standard Italian design, and we ended up seeing these manger scenes everywhere. Yes, every church <laughs> puts a lot of effort. Yes, into their. We're talking scenes. a lot more detailed than what you see in most places here. Beyond like, the Holy Family, the shepherds, the wise men of the city of Bethlehem is represented right. in a lot of these scenes. The bread maker, the vegetable mm-hmm. vendor. Um, the fishmongers, the tailor, the, yeah, things yeah, like that. The apothecary, everybody's mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the one that was even set up in our hotel lobby. Right. Um, had it, running water. It, they all have running water. <laughs> um, but all of the people, some of them were still engaged in their whatever task, but a lot of them are look like they're on pilgrimage towards, to Right, everything's oriented the towards the manger, mm-hmm. yeah, in a way. Yeah, so it's, it's not, it doesn't so much get lost in it mm-hmm. as it's kind of being set in time yeah so um, a beautiful experience we're happy to talk about at least one part of that and i look forward to sharing some more of the details at least absolutely okay let us let us conclude with prayer in the name of the father and of the son and the holy spirit Amen. amen very grateful for this time to share our experience in the eternal city of rome um we ask the mother of our lord to continue to confirm the graces in our heart that our Lord wishes to give us. Hail Mary, full, full of grace, the Lord, Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Seminarians is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of the seminarians and all of our locally produced programs are available at saintgabrielradio.com. Veni, so-